I'm Brandon Katz. And I'm Jean Bentley. And this is Must Watch Netflix Edition, a conversation between two pop culture junkies to help you navigate the endless library of Netflix. Today, we're discussing the Netflix original movie Holiday and its new anime, Blood of Zeus. Well, let's talk about Holiday. Yes, let's. Because I'm let's excited for this episode because I think we have opposing viewpoints on both conversations today, which is always the most fun type of episode to record. Exactly. I, I think so, too. And I think that, you know, in a larger sense, it really speaks to the way that Netflix is tailored to different tastes. And, and I think that's really fun. So starting with Holiday, um, which is basically a romantic comedy starring Emma Roberts and this Australian actor, Luke Bracey. And it's about how um, they both have bad romantic uh, experiences and they randomly meet and they decide to be each other's date for the holidays so their friends and family don't annoy them trying to set them up with uh, with other people. Uh, spoiler alert, they fall in love. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, And let me tell you, uh, this is exactly the kind of thing that I like to turn on and kind of like zone out. Like, it is definitely something that I watch with my phone in one hand and, you know, and, and my one eye on the phone, one eye on the, on the TV, but. I can't blame anyone for that. And I completely understand, but I'm coming at it from a different point of view, which I will explain. My immediate reaction is, is I hated it, like despised it. And I will explain why. So just, just to start, I hate the corny generic, type of content like this is that's not even in on the joke you know this to me is brain numbing formula in which these two characters simply cannot be honest with one another about their feelings even after having sex sorry spoiler alert for everybody but only because the script demands it it demands drama and not necessarily because this is how humans act now, that is all annoying. Now, I'm not going to fault anyone for liking it because the reason why I hate this is I have found about myself, I despise the aggressively mediocre more than I do like the intriguingly terrible, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. And I feel like my viewpoint is definitely the opposite of that, where I'm down for the reliable, <laughs> mediocre, everything's, you know, everything is about this <laughs> and and that is something that is appealing at certain points in time I'm not saying that I don't like the intriguingly terrible or obviously right. you know like genre busting like crazy good things but for me that reliability is is a good factor and I totally understand why it is not for you <laughs> but I likewise understand the reliability sometimes you want a high floor rather than a high ceiling in terms of like a potential quality but this to me holiday it felt like it was kind of born out of Netflix's algorithm solely to leverage holiday season SEO you know there was nothing distinct or unique about it, it is exactly what you expect from this genre. And I guess I just like when something reaches a little bit higher and just goes for it, even if it falls flat on its face. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that you're right. It is it is going after that that formula. But I did think that this set it apart. Um, it, it, it sets apart from other entries into that genre because it is... First of all, very aggressively 
not safe for work, Surprisingly right? They so. curse. They say some really gross stuff, which, you know, people do say in real life. I think that that is maybe a way to distinguish it from the like fluffier stuff on, on Hallmark or Lifetime. It was definitely kind of, we're the anti version of that, but obviously it's the same story beat for beat. It's just a little bit more risque. Um, And that is really fun for me sometimes, especially, you know, I go through phases with those formulaic movies. And so last year I didn't watch a single one of those Lifetime or Hallmark Christmas movies this year. I've watched like four. In the apocalyptic <laughs> 2020, I totally get it. Yeah, exactly. I was, you know, I'm just leading into the to the comfort. Um, so this definitely sets it apart that way. I, I would also say that as someone, the people who watch those movies like myself and others, you can really discern a, a quality difference between the ones that are really just copying and pa- like <laughs> cut, cut and replace, you know, control F replace this for that. And, and it's the same movie over and over with no real, you know, revelations or anything. And so I did think that this was not that, however, it had so many of those kind of romantic tropes that definitely bug you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they can't talk to each other um, because because, because this movie why? needs because a two-hour need running time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, exactly. I have to disagree though. Even though it was not safe for work, and there's certainly some bits that I like. There's uh, someone has a very hilarious tattoo of a a a now disgraced news personality, which is just hysterical. I really like that. But it it was not safe for work toilet humor that came interspersed with. With, with what was otherwise very generic, fluffy, romantic tropes, like you said. So if you're going to be the kind of Deadpool rom-com, be that from the start and own that. I don't like straddling the line between the two where there needs to be a big speech and there needs to be poop jokes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that was definitely very jarring at first. I feel like I don't know how family-friendly we want this podcast to be, so maybe we <laughs> do two different takes of this thing that I'm about to say, but I feel like it comes out very, very clear in like one of the first scenes where a girl tells the main guy something about him coming in her mouth and you're like, Oh wow. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. That's what this is. Uh, you know, (laughs) that did help. You're right. That, that was a strong, strong step forward in terms of the early going. One thing I didn't like in the early going, I thought they had a terrible meet cute. This movie positions it as the kind of classic, these two characters are going to fight at first and kind of hate each other and then grow to kind of like each other. This was a terrible execution of that concept. You want to see a good, snipey, bitter meet cute? You go watch uh, Destination Wedding with Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder, who just absolutely slay this kind of, I can't stand this person, but I'm absolutely attracted to them. Yeah. And also even, I think one of the first Netflix originals that kind of started to bring back the romantic comedy genre, what people were talking about, which was um, set it up with uh, Zoe Deutsch and Glenn Powell. They definitely had like a, we hate each other or whatever at first. And then, but you see, it definitely makes a lot more sense why those characters meet and, and spend time with each other and then grow to like each other each other versus this one where they're two kind of 
cynical people. And I guess you're supposed to see that they recognize that in each other, their kindreds, but it, ultimately they don't seem that great. <laughs> <laughs> These people are terrible and we would never hang out with them in real life. Yeah. Exactly we would shove that. them into lockers. Yeah, exactly, exactly, but exactly. I am glad that you brought that movie up because it is one of the kind of pillar rom-coms that Netflix has now set up as it really revives this genre that's fallen out of favor in terms of like theatrical box office releases. Netflix is the place for that. So when we're talking about its pretty solid track record in the genre, give me the chemistry between the two leads and set it up. Give me the outright hilarity of All Me, Always Be My Maybe, the more authentic schmaltz uh, to all the boys I loved before, or the body positivity and messaging of Sierra Burgess as a loser. Give me those instead of this, which I don't think has any real distinction or or message other than two attractive people flirt for two hours. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then it doesn't even culminate <laughs> until the very, very end. And you're like, at least like let them kiss. <laughs> Come on. Did you stay for the, the end credits photo montage? No, I certainly did oh, not. You this made the, the right choice. Of it. You made the right choice, Gene Bentley. Okay. So I guess it comes <laughs> down to this, like, it is the election as we record this. It's probably going to spill out the rest of the week. If you're looking for a distraction, any distraction, anything that might make your heart feel slightly good, sure, the holiday can can fill that void temporarily, right? Yes, absolutely. And I will say, you know, speaking of the two leads, I did like them both just separately. I feel like Emma Roberts does this kind of character very well, the kind of mean girl, but with with a little depth, although I don't know how much depth we see in this character. But I, I like that. I think she does it well. And then this, um, her co-star, who is the very charming Aussie Luke Gracie. Uh, and of course, as an Australian actor, he started on Home and Away, oh, the course. soap opera, because it's either that or Neighbors. Yep. And uh, <laughs> But he's also been in a couple of things over the over the past couple of years. The Point Break remake, Hacksaw Ridge, most recently a couple episodes of Little Fires Everywhere. I think that he was the real breakout of this for me. Kristen Chenoweth playing a crazy drunk aunt great but it was this man who he is definitely has the leading man looks he uh you know is just he's just that type and I found him really great to watch and I would like to watch him in more more conflict on must watch Netflix edition because I genuinely thought he was rent a Hemsworth I mean I I love a Hemsworth so maybe that's why I'm like yeah (laughs) Hemsworth, rent a Hemsworth. I can see that he, you know, he could be good in other uh, contexts. I think he was solid in what was otherwise a terrible Point Break remake. But here, I just think the writing lets him down. And he is essentially like Chris's less cool younger brother. Yeah. Which I'm not poking fun at Liam at all. I'm just saying that that was like the vibe I was getting. I'm like, is this a Hemsworth? No, it's not. But it could be. Not everyone can be Thor. Okay. Like, that's fair. That's fair. But listen, I, I I can see what you said. We are saying in terms of could he is he good? Do we want to see more of him elsewhere? Yeah, sure. Because Emma Roberts to me here was a little bit more teen angsty rather than like twenty nine year old trying to find herself. Yes, definitely. This was a weird. <laughs> I don't know. And 
another thing before we we move on to the next uh, part of the episode is that this was the first Christmas entry into Netflix's holiday programming of 2020. And I think that that was definitely a good choice because it's not really a Christmas movie. It starts at Christmas, but pretty immediately moves on. And so Is it that I do evergreen think that, SEO? Because every single yeah. holiday, they're like Thanksgiving movie, Halloween movie, Christmas movie. Yeah, exactly. They can cycle, you know, the tailored uh, yeah. art that they give you. They'll cycle it to each holiday. It, it works Born for out them. of the algorithm. All hail Netflix's robot overlords. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it, it was a kind of a good way to start it out. It, it, I think this movie was fine. It did what it needed <laughs> to do. That's fair. And I, and I think you could probably spend your time better watching anything else. But I also understand if you want it for a couple nice laughs in the, the belief that love is out there for you, too, if you're feeling lonely in this chaotic 2020. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? There we go. But now I'm excited because we're going to switch positions. I already know, based on our text conversations, how you feel. Netflix's new anime, Blood of Zeus, it basically chronicles the illegitimate son of Zeus, who is a young commoner in ancient Greek, in ancient Greece. And he's basically tasked with saving heaven and earth, despite the interference of this vengeful goddess and a demonic, monstrous army. It's throwing a lot at you. But it is only eight episodes, so it's actually much shorter than your typical anime series. I liked it. I thought it kind of retrofitted Greek mythology into this more modern, uh, characterless battle of of metaphysical gods. Uh, I thought it was really slick imagery, uh, some really good voice acting. It was very soap operatic because it has like the familial dynamics of Star Wars mixed with like the political scheming of Game of Thrones and the violence that has come to divine anime. Now, I totally understand this is not for everyone, even more so than Holiday. So I do want to hear your criticisms in depth because ultimately I liked it and I do like anime as a whole. Yeah, I I didn't like it, obviously. <laughs> you as, don't you know, say. These, these differing viewpoints. But, but here's why. I am not a huge anime person. I have seen some anime some some pivotal you know anime but it is not an art form that I particularly tap into and so and and then I am really picky about the animated things that I like to watch so what do you like before you get more into blood of Zeus because I'm curious yeah, what your I taste mean like is. I I'll, I'll watch. I'll watch a Bob's Burgers. I'll watch a Simpsons. I'll watch a BoJack. I'll watch a Tuca and Brody May She Rest. Um, but I don't. I just animation, and and I'll watch you know movies in the theater. But I think my like contemporary classics. Yeah, exactly. Like I'll go see Pixar. I'll go see Disney movies. Great. But I think that as a series, even the, the shows that I do enjoy, I do not watch regularly. It is not something that I, I, I do regularly. Um, I'm trying to think like, I don't, I love, I appreciate animation as an art form. I think it's wonderful. I I'm fascinated by how it is made the different ways that you can animate the way 
all of all of the work involved in it. I, I think it's really fascinating. But ultimately, if I had the choice between an animated something uh-huh. and a live action something, I would probably pick the live action every time. And I know that is my own personal. No, because I, I I agree with you as someone who loves animation and someone who was especially raised on Eastern animations, which this clearly takes influence from. You know, as a kid, I was watching Dragon Ball Z, Inuyasha, Ruroni Kenshin, like Cowboy Bebop, all these amazing Eastern animes that is clearly uh, influenced Blood of Zeus quite a bit. And I would still probably take live action pound for pound give or take a, a into the spider verse which is i think a perfect movie oh yes that's that is a fact <laughs> that is absolutely true but even that everyone was saying how good into the spider verse was and i only saw it a couple months ago um it just I, I don't know i just have a thing about animation that is hard to get past and for this i think that i would have enjoyed it a lot more if it were a feature but eight episodes was just a little bit too much for me to handle at one time and then i would say on top of that ancient greece is not a time period that i am particularly <laughs> interested in i will also not choose a movie about that time period over literally any other. <laughs> so it was just kind of two strikes for me of things that are just not things that I'm interested in. Because I, I still tout to this day my A-plus in sixth grade Greek mythology because I love the, the topic. I love the time period. That content was an immediate hook. I was like, anime, which I like, plus Greek gods, I'm in. What's up? That's Brandon Katz's style. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. And and that's why I I really I like it. I I definitely see all of the merits of it, but for me it is just it's just not for me and that's okay though cuz that is the whole thing with Netflix. They have all of this great content that can be tailored to different people. Yeah. And this is just not something that would ever pop up <laughs> on my recommendations, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but it's good that you mentioned that because Netflix has built this animation empire actually wrote about the heavy investments into animation that are at the forefront of the entertainment industry right now on observer go check it out shameless plug hey Uh, (laughs) where can you get that observer.com boom i love it this is why we're good partners dean (laughs) yeah (laughs) so everyone in the field is chasing netflix and you're starting to see that right now i mean at&t is selling crunchyroll which is an anime streaming service with three million subscribers they're selling it to sony which is going to give them a huge control of the anime export market. Uh, Just this year alone, Apple TV Plus debuted Central Park, Hulu debuted Solar Opposites, CBS All Access had Star Trek's Lower Decks. And that's because Netflix, which has become the biggest TV provider in the world with 195 million global subscribers, more than any other media, network, channel, whatever, it's, it's the whole reason we have this podcast. They are so far out ahead in this field. You know, BoJack Horseman, Big Mouth, Castlevania, Dragon Prince, those are just four or five off the top of my head that are huge hits already. Animation is relatively low cost. It's completely unaffected by the pandemic. It's a lot of shelf life for content buyers. Not only is it already important, but it's becoming more important moving forward. So even though it may not be your cup of tea, I'm so fascinated by its impact on the industry and what it's done for Netflix specifically. Yeah, I I think it's really fascinating to think about. I used to work, um, do some work for a an app where you can track the TV shows that you're watching, and consistently, cool. a lot of these 
um, animes that that Netflix has were landing in the top shows around the world that people were talking about. Shows like One Piece, Devilman Crybaby, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Guess what? I did Google how to say <laughs> that because I have never heard it spoken aloud. And and I respect the honesty. I, it, it has a huge global reach. So it makes sense for Netflix to acquire a lot of those shows and then make their own, like Blood of Zeus, like Castlevania. The, these shows, they realize it is it has this market and they're tapping into it. And honestly, it, it makes sense in the line with Netflix's whole business model. And, and it also just makes sense in the form of, don't you want people to want to watch your content obviously a lot of people like anime and they want to watch it and they will watch it on netflix i mean hulu has some acquisitions that they've made and like you said crunchyroll is kind of this whole service dedicated to it it is a huge um kind of economy it it has it's a really huge genre and it is worth mentioning that blood of zeus debuted october 27th it has been tracking in Netflix's U.S. Top 10 as of Monday night. It's Tuesday night now. It wasn't on this morning. I haven't checked in a few hours, so it's possible it popped back in. Now, the creator said this week that they have a five-season arc in mind. Look, guys, like you, you could deliver the next magnum opus of animation. Based on Netflix's recent track record, that ain't happening. <laughs> yeah, Simple as I mean, that. Five seasons is ambitious, but on the other hand... Animation has proven to be a pandemic-proof genre, um, and also the way that you, how far ahead you have to work in animation yeah. means that it's likely they're already working on season two. If if the creatives at Net, executives at Netflix were happy with how the scripts came out, how the animation came out, they probably have been working on it for a while. That's probably true. Now, typically, Netflix waits four weeks after a new project drops to review the viewership data and make a decision on renewal or cancellation. So late November at the earliest, we could probably expect an official announcement one way or the other from Netflix. I'm hoping it gets a second season because, again, I really love the striking imagery. And, again, I'm a sucker for Greek mythology. I'm like, oh, Zeus and Hera and and Hades, you got me. Yes, sign you up. (laughs) And I... I'm happy to let everyone around the world who wants to watch that watch it. It will not be playing on my Netflix, but that's okay. That's fair. That's the point of this show, where we're getting an eclectic, versatile, wide array of Netflix content so we can tell people what's worth watching and what you can skip based on your own taste and preferences. Exactly. And listen, if you are a non-anime person like myself, this is not the gateway for you. (laughs) <laughs> try again there will be one it's great honestly um they're doing that whole cowboy bebop live action so that's one that i have seen and you know my best friend growing up was really into it and it's a, it's a great show really maybe tr- maybe try it maybe try an older anime before you kind of tap into this new one and the writers are already breaking season two for the live action cowboy bebop and season one hasn't even arrived yet yeah, there you go. That's going to be huge. And I think that's definitely a, a, an anime that can kind of transcend genres yeah. for sure. That's more accessible for someone who's trying to dip a toe. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Maybe not this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else before we go? Anything else you want to say to our legions, mountains, hordes of hungry listeners that are clearly tuning in by the hundreds of thousands right now? 
Yes, definitely. Thanks, mom. Um, <laughs> I really was very excited to hear this week that Netflix has renewed the Babysitter's Club for a second season. It obviously came out before we started doing this podcast, but it is a delight and I'm so thrilled that they are making another season. Confession, <laughs> I have not seen the first season. That's okay. Doesn't strike me as something that would appeal to you. There we go. See? Quickly before <laughs> we go, could you compare it to something else on Netflix so I have an idea what I'm getting into? Because we're clearly going to hit it on this show at some point if you like it that much. That is a great question. I think it is similar in... Uh, spirit, not necessarily tone, but spirit to Teenage Bounty Hunters, All right, I'm in. Um, which was unfortunately canceled, yeah. but it is a wonderful youth cast. It is really relatable and intriguing storylines. It's great for, you know, millennials like myself who grew up reading the Babysitter's Club books. It is a perfect modern translation of that um and and also comes from rachel shukert who uh was on glow and so there there is that kind of you know sensibility in common um so so that's what that is like but yeah that that is my that is my happy news (laughs) that i was excited about this week what about you brandon that was a really good sales pitch gene hey (laughs) I'm, i'm totally in Good, good, good. So I don't have anything new. I'm just excited for Mank because a new David Fincher movie, Love It or Hate It, is a hot topic of conversation that I'm excited for. We're going to be hitting that on the next podcast along with The Crown Season 4. So those are two heavy hitters after what was kind of a, a oppositional to- choice of topics today where we were taking some some pretty strong views. Oh, yes. And I can't wait to talk more about them next next time and that's it for us new episodes of must watch netflix edition post every thursday on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts until next week until next week